You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Making a discovery is to a researcher what hitting a game-running home run is to a ball player. But does getting there first sometimes put the patients last? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that drives cures to patients through repurposing generic drugs for new uses. And with me today is Dr. Jayanta Debnath, Assistant Professor, Department of Pathology, University of California, San Francisco. Dr. Debnath is a member of the UCSF Comprehensive Cancer Center, a Charles E. Culpepper Medical Scholar, and he recently received Career Development Awards from the Howard Hughes Medical Institute and the AACR. Dr. Debnath and I are discussing issues surrounding researchers' ability to share information. Dr. Debnath, welcome to ReachMD. Thanks for having me. How collegial is the scientific community? So I would say the scientific community is very collegial. We tend to have lots of meetings where we meet with each other in particular fields. However, I think there's isolated aspects of the scientific process and the scientific community where, you know, information is not transferred as as readily. And from my experience so far, it tends to be things that are, you know, very popular or very important results tend not to be shared amongst others within, I think, mainly because of the worry that someone will not get the credit that they want for a discovery that they've made. When we talk about this credit, how important is that in your career development? It's actually, it's pretty much the entire, it's, it's extremely important. So any junior faculty member, particularly not, not necessarily a more established research scientist, pretty much needs to, in order to progress through the field, needs to make fundamental discoveries as they move through the process in order to, to you know, get their grants, initial grants funded, in order to publish papers, to be recognized, and ultimately to, in academic circles, you know, get tenure and, and have a, a stable position. The baseball analogy really makes sense. If you come up from the minors and you're only hitting 200 and you're not throwing anybody out, you're going back down to the minors. Exactly. Same thing in medical research? Yes. And you have to basically peak early if you can as a independent faculty member in the sense that I think if you are able to make some important findings and discoveries earlier in your career, you end up actually being able to kind of ride or rest on your laurels for quite a while. The grants seem to come through easier and you end up kind of being promoted and and moving on. Are there scientists that you really do like to work with and others that you don't? Yes, absolutely. And what's the difference? Well, a lot of it is gut instinct on whether they're a good collaborator or not. And I actually, in my own lab, we collaborate closely with two other junior faculty members at UCSF, which is where I'm located. In those cases, I know I can trust them that, you know, no one's going to take the data that we discuss in our open meetings, repeat those same experiments and publish them while we're not looking or or waiting around. On the other hand, uh, others are not nearly as collegial. You get this sense very early on. It's kind of going back to basic principles that your kindergarten teacher, your mom told you is, you know, you kind of know who to trust and who not to. The same principles really apply to science. Science is a very human endeavor, although the the actual experiments are, are very sterile and scientific, if you will. The actual process of getting a result to publication or to recognition is a very, very human process. 
are you more likely to share your successes or your failures, or are you equally happy to share whatever's going on in the lab? Well, we actually take the, the tack that both of them are important. The failures, because you don't really want anyone else to you know, waste their time repeating your failures. The successes, we do share them, but I will say that we temper them in the sense that if we think that someone could easily reproduce those results, we tend to hold back until we know they're, we're far enough along that we're close to publishing. And sometimes we hold back on sharing the successes, mainly because we're not sure they're right. One of the things I think scientists pride themselves on being is, I have a great result and I know it's right. But the problem with that is that takes time to actually figure out sometimes. It, you get this great result, but you're not sure you can reproduce it, so on and so forth. So you, you hold it back till you know that it's correct. You are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, and I am speaking with Dr. Jayanta Debnath, Assistant Professor, Department of Pathology, University of California, San Francisco, about his cancer research. So how does that need to publish and protect maybe intellectual property and vie for competitive grants affect your ability to share information with other researchers? I think it has a pretty big effect. It turns out in some cases you do want to share because you want to try to collaborate and actually now employ someone's expertise with regard to a particular research problem that you don't have. And so you know that it's going to make you faster, So and you know that you have to give up a certain amount of your data in order to make that collaboration work. But I think at the end, you it's a win-win situation because you bring in a new collaborator, you bring in potentially a, a new way of thinking about things, and you solve a problem faster than you do. On the other hand, if you know that uh, another researcher is doing exactly the same thing you're doing, in a perfect world, the two of you together could do it faster. But, you know, I think, you know, similar to baseball, sometimes egos do, pre do prevail and you think, well, if we keep going, you know, kind of independently of each other, maybe we'll win and we'll beat them. Do you have that experience more inside your institution or between institutions? I think it ends up being more between institutions, but I wouldn't say that that's true of every institution. So, for example, the University of California, San Francisco has a long tradition of being extremely collegial. Senior researchers actually end up, you know, kind of advising and, and nurturing more junior faculty and things like that. I don't know if that's true everywhere across the country, and I have heard cases where junior faculty within an institution end up um, getting the short end of the stick when they collaborate with more senior researchers who have established careers but want more and more. Can you give us a specific instance in your career where you've actually experienced where these barriers to sharing had an impact on your research? The two of us actually recently had an experience in the sense that while we were talking about some of the research we were doing, it became apparent that another researcher had uh, a result that we could potentially provide our own expertise, which is in the subject of autophagy, on. And so we were interested in potentially setting up a collaboration uh, of some sort. However, the other researcher, I think, wanted to kind of pursue the research they were doing further before talking. So as a result, at this point in time, that, that is essentially, you know, held up. We don't know if we will uh, establish a collaboration. And two, we don't know if 
we could have actually ended up helping them do their work faster. And once they get that publication done or whatever it was that was the stumbling block, then do the doors sometimes open up? I think with any big discovery, once you get one of the first pieces of data on record, which is in effect a publication, it often opens up a, a lot more doors. But it's once again, it's very individual dependence. Some people don't want to give anything up. They want to basically do every piece of research within their own laboratory or within their own group. You know, that's that seems to be a very isolated case, fortunately, within the scientific community. I think most people realize that more minds are a better thing toward a problem. And so once you get your due credit, it doesn't really matter who else gets theirs. And so you're willing to collaborate. So how do you think this lack of sharing or protecting my publication or my intellectual property impacts the cost and speed of research, especially as things might get translated to the patient? I think it's probably a detriment in in some ways. I, You know, like, I think I like the idea of competition in research. Don't make any mistake. I think it, it's one of the reasons why the the U.S. biomedical research system is as successful as it is. On the other hand, you can actually go back. It's not an issue nowadays, but back when people were cloning disease genes, for example, there were a lot of private foundations that would fund, you know, two different labs to clone disease gene for a certain ailment. And what those foundations would find out was that the two different labs that they uh, that they funded to actually do that research would refuse to absolutely talk to each other. And that would really frustrate the granting agencies or those foundations because they knew that if they simply got to the table and not even collaborate, just talked, that perhaps the disease gene of interest would be cloned in, in weeks rather than in years. On the other hand, the fact that they were competing with each other really pushes people to get to the table first. So is there a chance that it actually speeds up research in certain aspects? I think, yes. You're going to find both a good and bad aspect of this in the sense that certain aspects of research do get sped up because they know that they are in competition with each other. Particularly things that have translational potential in some cases do get sped up because of competition among two different groups. So do you think the NIH and other funding agencies could do things to encourage collaboration and sharing within the scientific community? They already are. So I told you, like, back in the day when people were going after disease genes, some foundations just basically took the draconian approach. They were just like, you know, we're the purse, and we want this problem solved, and we know the two of you working together will solve it faster. So that's what you're going to do. On the other hand, others have taken a much more gentle approach, if you will. So the NIH started to encourage multi-investigator grants. So as a result, each individual PI, rather than one PI or one principal investigator being listed on a grant, now pretty much everyone who's a major contributor basically gets credit for having that grant and, and so on and so forth. And I think a lot of agencies are moving toward that model because science, because it has become, you know, so expansive and pretty much any individual scientist has one area or two areas of expertise. They can't do it all. So as a result, they have to basically collaborate with another scientist who has a different set of expertise. And so agencies, I think, are tending to now bring that. They they call them synergy awards or multi-investigator awards, and they seem to be becoming more and more common these days. So I think they already are doing that. We're fighting disease on many fronts, especially in the research lab. 
Does the current system that rewards researchers only if they publish first and protect their patents help or hinder that fight? I want to thank Dr. Jayanta Debnath of the University of California, San Francisco, for sharing his insights with us. I am attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that drives cures to patients through repurposing generic drugs for new uses. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.